I think it's 166 dialects of English in the world. There's no native English. When someone comes to you and says, oh, I really want to sound like a native English speaker. All right. Which one? Welcome back to the Speaking and Communicating Podcast. I am your host, Roberta. If you are looking to improve your communication skills, both professionally and personally, this is the podcast you should be tuning into. Communication and soft skills are crucial in your career growth and leadership development. Whether you're about to speak in public, make presentations at work, pitch to investors or an entrepreneur looking to showcase their innovation to a wider audience, you'd be glad you joined us. The Speaking and Communicating Podcast is part of the B Podcast Network, which is a centralized hub that helps listeners become their best selves at work and in life. To learn more about the B Podcast Network, go to bpodcastnetwork.com. And by the end of this episode, please log on to Apple and Spotify. Leave us a rating and a review and what you'd like for us to discuss on this podcast that will be beneficial to you. Let's get communicating. My guest today is a good friend of mine because we share so much in common, not only professionally, but personally as well as aunties. Mm -hmm. She is a master in communications and all different facets of it, starting with being a TEDx speaker, a podcast host of Connected Communications Podcast, a public speaking and presentation coach, and her mission is to help you become a phenomenal presenter. And before I go any further, please help me welcome her to the show. Hi, Christine. Hello. Thank you for having me. What a lovely introduction. It's great to be here. Oh, thank you so much for your kindness. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the show. Please introduce yourself to our listeners. Oh, I'm not sure what I can add there. I might say I have another mission on top of helping people to become phenomenal presenters and by phenomenal presenters I would include in that just presenters of themselves I don't mean just presentation skills when we meet at networking events in meetings at the water cooler in a company in a sales pitch they are all times when we present ourselves so my real goal well I have a couple of them one of them is to abolish the term native English speaker or native speaker altogether Another is to empower a million bilingual professionals to stand strong in their confidence, allow themselves to be seen, heard and promoted to the positions they deserve in the workforce. Native English speaker, there's so much we have in common. And one of the things we have in common, we I taught in South Korea, you know, English is a second language. You currently even have clients who are from non-English speaking countries. That term was used to describe us teachers who came to teach English in South Korea. Mm. So what is it that you have as uh, like, oh, that's not my favorite term? Well, it's loaded with bias and it creates an attitude of the word imperialism is what comes to me because, of course, it comes out of the UK, you know. But there's a stigma attached to people who don't speak English as a first language that they're not good enough that they have to be perfect and they need to speak in a certain way to be able to be heard and understood. On the opposite side, there is a 
a status associated with so-called native English speakers, people whose first language is English, that gives them, in many cases, and I'm not saying this applies to everybody, of course, but creates a sense of being better than others in them and an ego and a belief that they don't have to learn another language, that they don't have to listen to somebody else or try to hear what they're trying to say. Instead, they can just dismiss them. Oh, they've got a really strong accent. I'm not going to pay attention. Someone will translate it for me later. That's really why, because it's loaded with bias. And I think it stops so many people from putting themselves forwards, from allowing themselves to speak, feeling confident and recognizing that if they have the skills in their first language, they also have the skills in another language. It's just a matter of transferring them and understanding the different ways to communicate with different English speakers. There are over 30 dialects of English in America alone, over, I think it's 166 dialects of English in the world. There's no native English. When someone comes to you and says, oh, I really want to sound like a native English speaker. All right. Which one? Mm. (laughs) Out of the 166. Out of the 166. You want to sound Irish? Do you want to sound British from this part of the UK, this part of the UK, this part, do you want, which part of America do you want to sound like you're from? Do you want to sound like you're from Malaysia, from India? Where where are we going with this? Oh, oh. Uh, I never really thought about it like that before. I just want people to understand me. Ah, so you actually so just want to speak else. clearly. <laughs> <laughs> it's not necessarily that you want to sound like this native speaker ideal that you've been led to believe exists but that you just want to be understood and so that means clarity of diction enunciation understanding how to pace and pause yourself across cultures and nationalities so that you can include everybody in your communication mm-hmm. yeah yeah that that would work for me all right well let's do that that's something very different it sounds very different for sure inclusivity as well which you're going to talk about but when you say there's this thing of, oh, it's better than others, or speaking the language makes you feel like you're better than others. One time I had a whole BTS, I think they were winning a Grammy that year for the first time in America. And I, with my middle schoolers, I said, why do you learn English? I remember this particular one said, teacher, I want to learn English so I can go to America and marry Justin Bieber. Okay, follow the discussion. But I said to them, Just remember one thing, English is not better than Korean. Korean Mm. will always be your first language. You learn English because you want to have more global opportunities because the world is, you know, and it is considered, not that it's better, it's considered the global language of business. You don't want to restrict Mm. yourself to just speak Korean and I'll only be in Korean communities for the rest of my life. I understand that, but understand that it's not better. With regards to inclusivity, when you talk about those biases earlier, so that means basically we're doing the opposite of being inclusive when we have those attitudes towards people who don't speak English as a first language. There's a lot to bias and and inclusivity. Uh, I think it's a word that's bandied about or or used very simply and easily these days. When I say bandied about, that's a very Irish term. Uh, In other words, it's just used. Without mm. thinking, oh, we're, I'm inclusive. Oh, I want to express my diversity. We're doing diversity and inclusion this week. <laughs> and this is how we're Lies doing it. around on this show all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when it comes to bias, I mean, we're all biased. 
it's a natural thing in the brain. It's natural for us to be biased. It's not natural for us to judge. The Neuroleadership Institute has identified, I believe, over 150 different biases. And they break them down into this model. They're really clever in how they communicate things. So the model is called the SEEDS model. Now I have to test myself and see if I remember it. Right. The first one, S, is similarity. So a similarity bias where you're similar to me, I'm going to go to you first. When you move to a new place, you naturally gravitate, for example, towards the Irish bar if you go to Spain. Then the second one, experience, experience, distance and safety. Okay, that's the the five of them out. Now that I have them out, I'll be able to remember them. So expedience is about the speed of doing something. Cutting corners, in other words, how fast can I do this? Oh, I did it this way before. I can do it this way again. It works exactly the same way. Ah, that might be experience. I always mix those two up, but then move on to experience bias. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did it this way before. It's going to work exactly like this. I'm in this new company, in this new job. It's in a similar industry. This is going to work. Well, hang on a minute. I don't know anything else, but we don't realize we don't know all those things yet for the new company. Right. So that's experience bias. You're using your experience to take actions that you think are the right actions but you haven't considered all the options distance bias then is how far or near you are to something so if you think about being in a business meeting when you run hybrid training you've got some people in a business meeting who are sitting at the table in the room and you've got two two or three people who are dialing in If you don't have everybody who's in the room on an individual laptop looking directly at the person who's online or the people who are online, there's a distance created between the people who are dialing in online and the people who are in the room. Naturally, we go to the people who are closest to us. We talk amongst ourselves in the room and then the people who are online are, are excluded. It's very, very difficult for them not to be. I had this experience. I was giving training somewhere in a company last year. It wasn't possible for us to bring in an individual laptop for everybody. I did request that there were laptops on the table. So we had four of them there for the pairs. And we had the people who were dialing in on separate screens. So they had a screen each. But it was still incredibly difficult to manage making sure the two people who were dialing in felt fully included. And there were certainly times where they got lost in the motions of everything happening in the room because I would have to split myself between making sure they're engaged, talking to them and managing the people in the room and also then getting the people in the room to connect with them on the screen. You know, yeah, they're there. Check in with them, please. Are you sending them messages? Are you working with them in the chat? Oh, yeah. okay, you need to do that. So that's distance and safety safety exactly as it as it means we like to keep ourselves safe the brain runs away from threat towards reward so we don't take risks necessarily the safety bias can be i've never made this decision before i'm not sure if i'm going to get promoted this year or not if i make this decision and it backfires i'm probably not going to get promoted so i'm going to stay safe and i won't take the risk So all those biases exist and experience is bugging me now. Experience is like when something is, you expedite something, you make it, you get it done faster. So it's got a link with experience. Sometimes we do this 
what takes up less energy for me to do so yeah if I speak to you which which we would use the term native speaker even though we've talked about why it's a problematic one if i speak to you versus listening to someone who is from an un-english speaking country the expediency is it's just going to go faster with you because there's less explaining and therefore i feel like oh i'm going to spend less energy having this conversation with you rather than the exactly. bias the yeah absolutely mm. and also not taking the, the time to think I want to do this really fast. It needs to get done. So exactly like you say, who do I choose? I choose the people whom I won't have to explain it to three times or who I won't have to check on to make sure that they get it done right. And I make sure that the people and the teams and the others who are involved will get this done as quickly as they possibly can so that I look good. They're unconscious in many cases. We we oh. do these things naturally. So when we talk then about inclusivity, which you, your question was about, all of these biases exist. Some of them we are aware of. We, we engage in them anyway because they do make things faster, whatever other reason. Some of them are unconscious. And it's about then engaging the brain and the system to recognize, oh, what am I doing here? What's popping up for me? Oh. Is there a bias that I'm allowing to take over my thinking? What can I do with this? How can I be more inclusive? And native speaker, I don't use the term. Listen to some of my older content. You will hear me use it. Even some of the content on my platform, I do use it in. And then as I progressed into my decision on it and my thinking on it, I don't use it. When people use it with me, I return a different turn of phrase. I don't cut around it ever you will not hear me use it unless I put my fingers up around my head <laughs> and I, or I say so-called or I'm using it in this example as we're, we're discussing it here because for me the way to change a habit and to change a behavior is to stop the behavior and then call it out when it is engaged in and I have no problem talking to people who insist upon using it and having that conversation with them mm-hmm. particularly so-called native English speakers who believe that they are better. Unfortunately, yes, that belief still lingers. And then when it comes to pronunciation, what made you decide that's also going to be one of your focuses? Because the reason I asked that question, I used to encourage my students to not worry about having perfect grammar because it used to hinder them from even trying. You know, it's either I speak perfectly to Roberta teach in English or I don't try at all. And I mm. used to say to them, the focus is not to be perfect. So they used to worry about not only grammar, but how they sound, how they pronounce words. Mm. Why do you focus on helping your clients with pronunciation as well? Because pronunciation doesn't mean perfection. And pronunciation and enunciation and clarity of diction don't mean accent loss. They mean clarity and there's a very big difference between speaking clearly using a prosodic rhythm or the rhythm of English or the music of English in a way that allows other people to follow you more easily and getting rid of your accent they're two different things we can bifurcate them but people blend them we can separate them but people blend them you mean pronunciation and accent yeah but people say oh I need perfect pronunciation 
I need to get rid of my accent. I need to sound like a native speaker. I need to sound perfect. But pronunciation means when it's developed clarity of diction, clear speech. So I could speak to you now and I could speak like this. And if I speak like this, I'm I'm lazy. I'm lazy. You hear the, the difference in my clarity. Yeah, your mouth fairly oh. opened and it seemed like the words right. were not projecting out. So when we think about articulation, and I know you asked why I chose it, and I will answer that. But mm-hmm. when I relate it to people that I work with, there are certain linguistic backgrounds that need to produce sounds differently to how sounds are produced in their languages. Mm-hmm. Because the brain can't follow what they have to say if they don't enunciate clearly. So with articulation, I have a a free lesson on my website that has the five golden rules of articulation, two page or three page PDF. It explains the golden rules of articulation and then has an exercise breaking them down. And what it is, is accuracy. So accuracy with how you land your sounds, deliberation, thinking about how you form the sounds in your mouth, Mm -hmm. fluency, how fluid and fluent your sounds are firmness so the crispness or the firmness of your sounds I can't remember the last one but but there's five of them so if people want the, the fifth one go and get the lesson how about that my brain is holding it back for a reason uh-huh. <laughs> sometimes the slightest shift in a mouth in the position mm. of the tongue or the jaw or the lips or the teeth moving with the tongue or the jaw or the lips completely changes how a person is received. And when that changes and they recognize that change, people start to follow them more easily because that's how the brain works. So I posted a video actually today on LinkedIn about priming in the brain. The way that the brain works in terms of language chunking and and listening is that it is primed for what's coming next. So if we think about English and I say to you, black and white, bread and butter. Right. So what's happening here? Your brain is primed. You know, they're they're binomials. So Mm -hmm. you know that in English we say black and white. Those words work together. If I said white and you'd probably say black, but you think, why did you say it like that? That was backwards. Oh, yeah. Then if it's backwards, my brain actually has to put the energy to think. Yeah, exactly. Your brain has to use energy to think. Now, in Spanish, mm, I, mm. as far as I, I understand, it's blanco y negro. So it's white and black. They it's backwards. They in reverse. Yes, yes. In, okay. So if you come in from Spanish and you're presenting or you're speaking, and this is an example of this kind of phrase, but there are other phrases or, or terms that you might use. And you slip the sound to a different rhythm. If the listener was expecting a word to come, after something you've said, subconsciously expecting it. They're following the flow of your speech and in their head, the next word that you're going to say is white because they've heard black and white so many times their brain is primed to know that that's what's coming next. And you say rustic brown, black and rustic brown. Oh, rustic brown. What What was that? Their brain is jolted. And as you said, it uses more energy. So now think about the person who's not used to hearing your accent. Mm -hmm. The person who maybe has a bias against your accent, the person who thinks that they don't need to try to hear what you're saying or extend their ears even somewhat to try and follow and understand. 
you've got all these walls up already before you even begin to speak. And then you start speaking and you push on words that don't make sense for you to push on. And the rhythm is all off. What happens? The brain can't follow it. So you cannot be understood. People don't want to listen. People don't pay attention. You don't get asked questions. And this is the reason. And it's sometimes just as simple, as I said, as learning how to move your jaw differently or finding the rhythm of English and the world English language schools, because they want to sell it, frighten people into thinking this is something difficult. And in four sessions with me, I'll have you in it. It's only a matter of understanding the prosodic rhythm of speech. It's really not that complicated at all. Mm -hmm. So I haven't answered your question. I recognize that. Right. The reason I'm in it, or it's one of the elements of what I do, is because one, I love it. There is such an incredible feeling when you bring someone to a place where they recognize the impact that their diction might be having on others. Mm -hmm. Usually it's through poetry. Find a poem that they love. We do it with my one-to-one clients. It's partly in the one-to-one sessions, but I have a training platform that, as you know, that they go into in advance. So at the moment, for example, I'm working on pace with a client from Singapore. Mm -hmm. Pitch, pace, pause, power, inflection and tone all go together. They're the modulation facets. That's not clarity of diction. That's something different. That's the rhythm. But we started with pace. When you see them come back to you after they've listened to the content, they apply the technique, the mouth starts moving differently. They realize that a sound is a diphthong instead of a monophthong. Oh, I have to move my mouth twice for that. I never knew that before. It's just a simple little thing. Yeah, you just need to move your mouth. It's two, two jaw movements there. Okay, right. You move to, oh, wow. Oh, that's a lot easier. All right. And if I shorten that, okay. Okay. How can you apply this at work next week? They go and they apply it and they come back in. People didn't ask me so many questions or ask me to clarify as much this week. Oh, how did that feel? Yeah, it felt really great. And then you see the shoulder change mm. and you see them lift. But that's why I'm in it, still in it. I got into it because I started training in speech and drama with my mum when I was seven. So by 16, 17, I had trained in the classification of speech, vowel sounds, consonant sounds, and we had to learn the Latin and, and everything around them. So where they go in the mouth and the different terms. And as I worked in English language schools and with clients, private clients through mum's school, helping them with public speaking, I started to realize that I have a gift, which I tested on my aunt once. It was really cool. She's a former CEO. She's nearly retiring now, but has been one of my biggest inspirations. She's massive in the oil industry in the UK and, and globally. And she was home once. There was a word that she wasn't able to pronounce. And she told me, you know, I've never been able to pronounce it. I said, I bet you I'll be able to teach you how to pronounce it. Nope. I've been with coaches all over the world. There's no, nobody's ever been able to do it. Try me. And in less than 90 seconds, she pronounced the word. Yeah. So I have a gift. I can hear in a mouth where the tongue is being positioned, which is causing a sound to be, I don't like the word mispronounced, but pronounced inaccurately, I'm going to say. So I'll get somebody to say something and I'll listen. Okay. And just, just, can you do it again a couple of times for me? And I know it might feel a little bit awkward, but to let me hear it, to let me hear it. Okay, right. Am I correct that the tip of your tongue is touching the bottom part of the back of your teeth when you make the sound? And then they, oh yeah, it is. Okay, right. 
where does it need to be? And then they'll start thinking about it. I'll make the sound a couple of times. They move, start moving their mouth. It's fun, you know, because we're both sitting like this. <laughs> like frogs riveting on a pond. And then we compare it to their own language. So if we took a sound, ah, oh, we did this when we first met. Remember we talked about the TH sound? Yes. I think I did this with you. I was listening to you and I was like, is this where your tongue is? <laughs> when we first met. But this is something that might be interesting for people who are listening. So it was Zulu, wasn't it? We talked about the THs. Yes, in Zulu. And that T in English, in Zulu, it's TH. In Zulu, you have T alone. It's uh Remember I was saying T. Uh. Uh. If it's T alone, we have to put the H to say T, like you would say the T alone in English. But in English, the TH is then F. Yeah, so the TH comes out between the teeth in English and yeah. it's aspirate and vocalized with two THs. Mm -hmm. But then again in Zulu, can you give me a word with it in it? So in Zulu, if you have T alone without the H, it's uh. Wait, One more time. <laughs> <laughs> so my tongue is at the back of the gums, not the teeth. So it's uh, is it your I'm, gums or is it up on the alveolar ridge uh, uh, at the uh, top of your mouth? Uh, almost at the top, go a little bit forward in the front as if you're approaching the teeth, but you're not there yeah. yet. Yeah, yeah, so that's called the alveolar ridge. Right. So uh, mm. uh, uh and then when you a, and when uh, you blow, yeah, you blow at the same time as you say the sound. So you say uh. So it's almost like the we did this, yeah. Ta, 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 like yes, we say da da da, and then I said, but if you want to say time in my language, as you do in English, then you must put the H. It's T H. But then in English, it becomes a th. <laughs> uh, so but it's even uh. softer when you say it. Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, cool. <laughs> and that's why I still do it because it it fascinates me the different positions T and TH particularly. Mm -hmm. T, T and D, especially across languages, are pronounced in different parts of the mouth. The tongue. So when you say tak, tak in Polish, yeah. I lived in Poland for, for a number of months, so I could speak kind of beginner Polish. What I, I learned at one point was the positioning of some of the sounds, which was really interesting. I was speaking to a, a speech and language therapist one night. Yeah. She had me, or I have all these pictures of me moving my mouth in different ways to learn the positions for, for Polish. But the T, and this is Polish, Russian, Bulgarian, uh, Ukrainian, I think Czech as well. There's some Slavic-based languages, and I know some Czech people will tell me it's not Slavic-based, but there are there are similarities in positions. The tak, tak means yes. So if you hear the t, t, it's a bit actually like your one from Zulu. T, t, tak, tak. And if I say tak, in English, like a blue tack or a, a tack on the wall. Right. The tongue comes back further. Tack, t, tack. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Take, tall. Tuck. So the tip of my like tongue. Yeah, 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 exactly. It Tips. does a fast movement rather than the, uh, the tongue stays longer in position. Yeah. There's no projection forward of yeah. it like you would have in Zulu. And it's aspirate. So there's no vocalization. There's no movement in the throat. But it's about the position of the, the tip of the tongue as well. So the tip comes back to that alveolar ridge we talked about a little bit further back. Whereas when I say tack, tack, the tip of my tongue is a little bit flatter and it's almost like the front of my tongue 
partly touches the teeth mm-hmm. and the ridge at the top. Tuck, tuck, tuck. So if I come into English and I say, talk, I was talking to the teacher. Right. You hear the the way that the T is coming that out. Tea. Yes. That creates a breakdown in communication because people can't hear that it's a T if it's very strong. So that tiny little, just move your tongue back a little bit in the mouth there. Just move the tip of the tongue back a little bit. Now say it for me. Talk, tongue, top. Oh, and then it sounds like, yes. Tiny, tiny, tiny little change. It makes a huge difference. Tiny little difference making a huge difference and also hopefully not only improving communication, but breaking down some of those biases we talked about earlier. Yeah, and, and breaking down the disconnect mm. and in fact creating more of a connection. And then when you start to talk about it, you can create even more connection because people don't realize a lot of things. And a lot of people whose first language is not English, who work in English speaking companies or work with a lot of English speakers, hold themselves back in conversation about what they find challenging, the things they've had to overcome to get to where they are. If they actually said to somebody, you know, the way that you say tea in English is completely different to the way that we say tea in my language. The English speaker, in many cases, will say, what? what do you mean? Well, when you pronounce it, and then you have the conversation then about the differences across the languages. And it, what you find is that people are actually quite fascinated when you start mm-hmm. to have the conversation. That's what helps to overcome the bias, because that brings in awareness. I never thought about that before. Right. I never realized it was such a struggle. It was so different. I just thought all languages were pronounced the same. Oh, well, no, in fact, they're not. Not at all. And the thing is, speaking of those coming from English speaking countries, you were talking about how usually, obviously, every case is different, but just generally, they don't learn another language. I think one of the advantages of being South African is that, well, currently my country has 11 official languages, nine of which are African tribes, and then you've got English, you've got Afrikaans, the Dutch language. Mm. So I speak Zulu English, I learned Afrikaans in school. So I know how to pronounce the T, for instance, in these three different languages, and it's all different. Mm. So when I get exposed to a language, even one I haven't been exposed to before, I am immediately aware of the fact that something is going to be different. I'm open to it, I'm ready for it. So I think the disadvantage of speaking only one language and being exposed to English as the only language, you know, when you grow up is that then those biases are subconsciously, you know. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd agree with you that they're not taught other languages. In Ireland, we grow up and from the moment we hit school, we we learn Gwilga, the Irish language. Mm-hmm. When we get into secondary school, then we have to choose our streamed language. So I learned French at primary school and I learned Spanish at college. Now, the manner of teaching doesn't mean that I know how to speak them. That's very different. Mind you, my Spanish lecturer at college was ah, one of the best women I've ever met and a fantastic lecturer. I was quite advanced by the end of it. The UK, there's less of a language learning rate. Yeah, that is absolutely true. But they don't not learn languages. Mm. It's just not as necessary 
to know other languages or hasn't been up to now as necessary to know other languages because English was this global dominating language. But now that workforces are so much more global and people are moving more and more, it's becoming more important because companies are starting to look for people who are multilingual. You know, you only speak English. You know what? I actually don't want you working for me because 10 of my customers are in 10 different countries. And if you have three or four languages under your belt, you're one person compared to the other three that I would need to hire on top of you if you only speak English. So go learn another language, mate. Yes, I think you're right about that. Like, for instance, I have since being in America, I have friends who say, oh, yeah, in high school, I took French. But taking French versus actually being fluent and speaking it and you can potentially work for a company based in France is a whole different story. Mm-hmm. If and... it's not required, as you say, mm. for instance, with me, the three languages, if I did well on my science, my math in high school and I failed one of the languages, I would have to repeat the entire grade. Well, That's how emphasized they were. Yes, <laughs> you had to be fluent in all three. <laughs> So that's a little different from, oh, yeah, I took a Spanish class. Oh, yeah, I took a French class. I took a German class. And it, it sounds like sometimes it's something that I might be wrong, but it's something they might have done for just that one degree or that, you know, for the credits to be together. But other than that, I don't think it's something that is emphasized as say be almost as fluent in it as you are in English already that you already speak. Yes, fluency is certainly a different thing. What I say is, a language proficiency doesn't equal communication competency. Mm. So even if I speak Spanish to a level of fluency that would allow me to work in the language, that doesn't mean I can go to Spain and work and communicate effectively in the language because communication is very different to language. To fluency and proficiency. Yeah, well, Mm. let's talk about the so-called native speaker again. Would you agree or disagree that, again, the so-called native speaker, (laughs) when you meet different people whose first language is English, they're not necessarily proficient in communication. Oh, yeah. We we used to hang out quite a bit in Korea. (laughs) So-called native speakers from seven different countries. And when we get together as teachers, yes, it doesn't necessarily mean you clarify, which you talked about clarity earlier, your communication is so clear that I understand exactly what the message is. Yeah, there's that, but Mm -hmm. there's then communication across cultures. So Mm -hmm. what did I do today? I think I posted, (laughs) I've done a couple of reels today so I can refer to them. Was it Facebook today that I did a reel on? Oh no, it was last week on American communication and communication in Ireland. I played the American and I talked in the way that, well, one American accent, the way that American might talk to one of their their team members. Uh, so I did it like that. I break my reels up into two different people and one is was the American and one was, was the Irish person. And what I was demonstrating was that in many parts of America, I'm not going to say all, very big place and the culture of communication is different in different parts. Like they're much more direct and forward in, in places like New York and Boston than they are in California, let's say, for instance. But what I'm getting at here is that the mannerism of communication is different. So a boss might say to me in America, do that now and bring it back to me by the end of the day. 
because they need to get it done and it's direct. That's it. Whereas an Irish boss will come in and say, would you mind please completing that report for me by the end of the day? And it would be wonderful if you could drop it in on my desk before you go. Right. So there's a big, long string of words there, but we use a lot of modals. We use hedging. We are very polite. That, that, of course, you're going to have the Irish boss that is not like that. So anybody mm. who's listening thinks, I'm not like that. Fine. But for the most part, for, for much of the part, we are quite polite, formal and nice. There's somewhat of a British flair to it as well. The British can be like the, this too. So I take my language proficiency. I'm Irish and I'm wonderful at, at English, for example. And I walk into a farm in New Zealand or Canada. Canada probably be easier because the, the culture is, is closer in some ways to the British. But in New Zealand, I've never worked in New Zealand before. I haven't met many New Z- people from New Zealand. I don't know the communication culture in New Zealand. And I walk into a meeting and speak to them like I'm in Ireland. And they're used to maybe a more direct form of communication. They're not going to listen to me. Even though in that particular example, you're being more polite and so it should be. Mm-hmm. Kind of music to the ears, but because that's not how they communicate, it's not going to resonate the way it would to an Irish. Yeah, I mean, just as art and beauty is in the eye of the beholder, so too is communication. It's different across the world. Mm. So in a, in a meeting in Australia, we go into a lot of different details here because we have to think about men and women. And there's, there are changes happening with regards to women being accepted more so in meetings. And in certain positions in Australia, because for a long time it was quite a big boys club, a bit like the States as well, and, and much of the world. But there is a joviality. It's a kind of a matey feeling, being friends. Don't come in as being really formal. Don't come in with a really high status and make yourself out to be better than all of the rest of us. Because if you do, we'll cut you down really fast. That's the typical way for Australia. So then you've got someone who might come in from the US. They're used to being treated with very high status. They are the top dog in the company, the most important person. They like to be treated with respect. They feel they deserve respect. They've got a nice suit, a nice car, big money. And they come in and they flash that all around. They call it the tall poppy syndrome in Australia. And what they mean by that is that don't come in here with your tall poppies. We're going to cut your poppies down. So. You sit down there, boy, you're no different to any of the rest of us. We're all people. So that's what I mean when I say cross-cultural communication. Yeah. I speak French, but do I understand how meetings work in French or in France? Mm. And then in this particular company and in this particular department of the company, Mm -hmm. you break it down and break it down and break it down. Culture is an iceberg, as one of the models shows. I don't know who owned the, the iceberg model, but it's often represented as an iceberg. You only see the tip. And everything else is underneath. And then you were talking earlier about how to sell yourself when you communicate. So when you work with non-English speaking professionals and they want to work in these global English-based companies, what are some of the tips and strategies you share with them in, in selling themselves? Well, as a coach, I tend to try to not share myself because the coaching process is that we believe that it's all inside the Mm. individual and we help them to pull it out of themselves I will with their permission if they want to go in that direction and if we move into a training mode rather than a coaching mode 
then bring in tips and strategies. So if someone comes in for coaching and peer coaching and they say, well, look, I've got a really big presentation coming up or I've got a sales pitch. Let me use one of my clients as an example here. When we first started working together, it was for pronunciation and a bit more clarity of diction, working on, on pitch and enunciation. And then suddenly, oh, I have a massive sales tour to give. There's a new client coming in. I have to bring them around the, the, the warehouse. Can we work on it? Of course we can. So it means we move from coaching into training because now I'm going to share my techniques, the way that I thread stories, the way that I weave things. So the first thing that I will say is to record it. I always get my clients to send me a recording of the tour or the pitch or the presentation that they'll give. And then I'll break it down slide by slide, block by block. We start then firstly to think about the audience. Who's coming? Where are they coming from? What's the makeup? What's the age? What's their background experience? What do they want to know? And if you don't know what they want to know, how can you find out? Who can tell you? Is it somebody inside the company who can tell you? Is it somebody in the client company who can tell you? Do you need to ask them yourself? What can you find out about them online, personal and professional? Because when you know that somebody, for example, values their children and they put the development of youth above almost everything else in the world, then when you bring them on that tour through your facility and you drop in little comments about the fact that your company is working towards a better future for our young people, then you connect with their values. And when you connect with a person's values, you appeal to their emotion. But not everybody's emotions need to be appealed to. Sometimes it's appealing to reason. So when we think about persuasion, we think about where we need to appeal to. And I use, again, the Neuroleadership Institute, the SCARF assessment. Mm. Is it status? Is it certainty? Is it autonomy? Is it relatedness? And is it fairness? If it's certainty, we're appealing to reason. If it's And so they need data. They need facts. They need to reasonably understand what's happening, they need to feel secure and, and sure. If it's everything else, it's it's emotion. So what excites them? Is it a sense of adventure? Is it a desire for something greater to leave their mark? Do they need reward and recognition? Do they need to feel accepted and loved? Do they need to feel like it's fair and everybody else is getting an opportunity? So when I give the tips and techniques, that's part of where we start. What, where are they on the scarf? What do you know about your audience? What else can you find out? And then we do it from start to finish. Before they arrive is equally as important as the moment they arrive. What have you given them in advance? Have they got agendas? Do they know where they're going? Who's meeting them? Are they getting welcomed in? What do you have ready for them when they're welcomed in? Is there something on the table? Is it the first time they've been in the country or in your state? What can you have that's going to make them feel special? What's happening in that first 15 minutes? How do you connect? Is there small talk? Who's going to be there? And then we move into the actual presentation itself, not being afraid to say at the beginning of it, what do you want from me today? What do you need? Because a lot of people don't do this. They think, oh, because of myself, I have to do this perfectly. I have to speak in the right way and I have to give them all the right information and tell them everything. Hang on a sec. Relax yourself there. Take the focus off yourself. You're not the most important person in the room. Your client is. They are. What do you need from me today? What do you want to know about? What's most important to you? These are the three things that are most important. Fantastic. You've already prepared your stories, your personal stories, but personal career stories. So what other clients have you done these things for? How can you refer and weave and thread in examples throughout your tour 
of what you've done before, how it's been successful and how it applies to their needs. So when you hear those needs in advance, then you can flex and adjust your content throughout your tour to meet those needs. So by the end of it, you might get questions. The questions will be more about what else you can do for them and how you can start working together as opposed to questions to clarify anything because you have given them everything they need. It is definitely all about them. So take the the focus away from you. Yeah. And don't be afraid to say, that's a great question. I don't have that data with me right now. If you need it before you leave, I'll get it for you. And I'll, I'll sign you get on the phone, get me this, have it for me when I get back to the meeting room after the tour. Or if not, I'll follow up with you afterwards and I'll send you over a presentation or I'll workshop it for you. Nobody what, expects you to know everything. Of course not. <laughs> uh, some do. I, I mean, I agree with you. For the most part, people don't. But mm. you do get people who come in who intentionally try to put people in positions where they will catch them out. Oh, yes, they do exist. I'm, I'm not going to deny that. They, they, they do. They do. They and do and exist, that comes. Yes. So when mm. you have that, right, where is this person coming from? That's status. They're coming from a place of status here. Maybe it's certainty, but generally it'll be a place of status, right? They think they know more or that I don't know enough. And often it, I do. I work with a lot of women. Often this is a man who believes a woman doesn't know as much or doesn't have the capacity or doesn't have the knowledge. And this is when it's really important for the woman, not only the woman, a man as well, who comes in from another language because they can sometimes be afraid that they can't express it mm. in the way they need to in, in the other in English. To be able to stand in their power, take a deep breath. I- emotional regulation is key. So we'll do work on emotional regulation in the moment, mm. managing your own emotions and someone else's. And look at the person and inside your head, it, maybe you can change them into a cartoon character if you need to, to make yourself giggle inside because that breaks down any fear or panic and, you can quote and, christine on that <laughs> uh, yeah yeah look at sometimes i look at people and i imagine them if they were one of the simpsons or you just you make them funny in your brain because when you do that you kick yourself with a little bit of dopamine mm. and you break down any of that cortisol and the threat and they just become a human or even a cartoon character in this case so they're like a fluffy bunny there's no more threat. And when there's no more threat, you're able to think rationally. Yeah. So maybe they just need a bit of certainty here. And that's why they're pushing me so much because they were let down before or or they're afraid or they're having a bad day about something else that doesn't really matter or connect with this, but they're taking it out on this because they can. Mm. What do I need to give them? Right. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take the behavior. Right. Maybe they're from a different culture. And that's how they communicate in that culture. And I need to just step back and say, okay, this is their mannerism. Take it, ride with it, and keep giving them what they need. Mm-hmm. Keep giving them what they need. The Connected Communications podcast, just before you go, please give us briefly why you started it and what it is that you focus on. I focus on connected communication. Communication for me is about finding your connection with self. So the four pillars of awareness that I work from are self-awareness, brain awareness, linguistic awareness, and cultural awareness. And I have coined the term for this, which I'm working on trademarking, as neurocultural communication. I started it to help people connect with themselves, first of all, go inside, 
find out what makes them tick, find out what they like, they enjoy, what triggers them and how to manage and balance their emotions. To be able to then take that authenticity from inside the self and use it to reach out and connect to others. I started it because I love talking to people like you and the other people that I'm interviewing. And if I'm completely honest, because for most of my life, I have wanted to be a radio show host. I never tried it. I never went for it. You would be so good at it. It was always something I wanted. And you have the voice secretly. for it too. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody told me that on a, a, a telephone call when I worked for a logistics company in Australia once. This guy was a customer mm. and he was in Perth and he had a problem with his logistics. And he said, you know, you have a great voice for radio. Have yeah, you ever thought about, <laughs> like, oh, thought about it? I've thought about it. So that's the reasons why. One, because I love to share my knowledge, my experience and to research more, to be able to to share it more, to be able to connect with people from all over the world and build my network and build my connections, learn from them like I did from you last week. And and I am from others that I speak to. Thank you. And and yeah, be my own radio host that nobody gets to take away or to control or to, to limit or silence or shadow ban or anything else of the sort so that people all over the world can connect and communicate together. And coming in a few months, we're going to start talking about languages and accents and bias. And that's a mark that I want to leave on mm. the world. Mm. Languages and accents and bias. Mm. Some of what we touched on today, for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I hope you'll be part of the panel. My my goal is to have a panel discussion. So anybody actually who's listening, if you come from a different linguistic background other than English and you would like to join a panel discussion, probably end of August, September. Yeah, I, I mean, you're on my list <laughs> for sure. Uh, I want to explore with maybe six or seven people, six or seven different linguistic backgrounds, the experience of language and accents and bias in their lives from a career perspective, from a communication perspective, and where the world can go if we maybe abolish the term native speaker. speaker. (laughs) And and if we start to step out of this bias, and as I said in one of my podcast episodes about native speakerism, unite in celebration of our differences, Mm. because we are all different, but that's what makes us wonderful. That's the beauty. That's where it lies. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The words of wisdom from Christine Malaney, <laughs> the neocultural communications trainer, TEDx speaker, podcast host, public speaking and presentation coach, and so much more that you have heard today on today's episode. If I don't let you go, I'm never going to stop because you know how you and I. Yeah, I know. We talk. <laughs> we we talk. can talk. <laughs> <laughs> and never stop. But thank you so much for taking your time to be here today and to share all this wisdom and experience with your clients with us so that we can learn more and to be aware of our biases. So thank you. Well, thank you for the opportunity to, to speak, for the beautiful questions, for where it's gone and, and the flow. I really enjoyed it. really appreciate you. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Christine. And before you go, where can we find you? The website where you have all these resources and so much more from you on the internet. You can find me on any social media channel. I'm on LinkedIn, Christine Molani, M-U-L-L-A-N-E-Y. 
and everything, Melania, I'm sorry. I am, but you're American now. That's how the Americans say it. (laughs) Many of the Americans, so it's all right. Don't worry about it. They'll they'll understand. (laughs) Yeah, on LinkedIn, um, my website is languagecouragecoaching.com. So finding the courage to use the language that you have in the moment. Everything is in there. Yeah, languagecouragecoaching.com forward slash discover will actually take you to the different links to find me the connected communication podcast connected communication on facebook and connected underscore communication on instagram where if you would like a bit of fun and a bit of edutainment i do reels and a variety of other different things about hiberno english english in ireland and what it means when your Irish boss says certain things. So come on over, engage, connect, DM me and chat. I love a good natter, as we do in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Your reels are really fun. <laughs> Enjoy your Instagram <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was Kristen Mulani. Did I say that You're right? Thank you. From all the way from Ireland. <laughs> sharing her wisdom and coaching program with us. Thank you for joining the Speaking and Communicating Podcast once again. If you have a guest that you think would be a great fit for the show, please email me and my contact details will be found on the show notes. The Speaking and Communicating Podcast is part of the B Podcast Network, where there are many other podcasts that support you in being a better leader and becoming the change you want to see. To learn more about the B Podcast Network, go to bpodcastnetwork.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave us a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify, and stay tuned for more episodes to come. Mm-hmm.